All right, welcome to Fieldstone Church, everybody. Thanks for coming this morning. I think we have a window where we're going to be okay. So we'll get some preaching in, we'll get some singing in, we'll get some food in, and we'll get out of here and uh, let the weather do what it wants to do. We are starting with the talk today, so hopefully you are all prayed up and ready to go. We don't even get any worship songs to warm you up. So here's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start in Leviticus chapter 6. And those of you who know the Bible, you're like, oh my goodness, it's food truck day, there's baptism. Why is he in Leviticus chapter 6? Don't worry. That's where we're going to start. Leviticus chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen or if they cheat their neighbor or if they find lost property and lie about it or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to them or the lost property they found or whatever it was that they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner of, on the day that they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and, without, and with, of the proper value." That is Scripture. That is the Holy Bible. That is the inspired Word of God, and I am not preaching on that, either today, probably ever, okay? So there's this thing about the Bible. There's certainly a reason for that passage. It was important to the people that were receiving it. Um, it was, it was uh, God was giving them all of these laws, over 600 laws that they were to follow as a people for their safety, for their health. It was building their culture as a new nation of people. It was a call to obedience to their God. It was ultimately to point them and show them their need for something more, to show us their need for Jesus. Because even these black and white rules, they struggled to follow them. They struggled to obey. And so all of these goofy things pointed to the fact that the rules were not enough, that the laws were not enough by simply following the list and checking the boxes was not enough because we just couldn't do it. And so there's things that were super important to them, things that we could pull out of that passage if we wanted to, but typically we go back to sections like that in Leviticus for historical context or for reference. But we don't spend a lot of time there. Where we spend a lot of time are passages like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. These are the places where we can't because these are places where it's rock solid, it's cut and dry, it's clearly important, it's very clear in their meaning. It's about faith and salvation and life in Christ. So, we're in this series that we've called Fieldstone 101, and what we've attempted to do over the last couple weeks, and we're going to do today, and we're going to finish up next week, is kind of going back through, we're kind of in a bit of a relaunch period here as churches kind of figure out, okay, when do we start meeting again? When do we go back inside? When do we slowly incorporate things that we used to call normal? And so we're taking this period to kind of remind you and maybe uh, inform you, if you're newer to Fieldstone, of the things that have helped make this church what it is today. Things that have been true over the last few years, things that we want to be true about this church in the years to come, things that we call, it's kind of like part of our DNA. If you're from the corporate world, you might call these core values. Don't worry, it's nothing, we're not going to put them on banners and fly them in the auditorium. We're not, we're not going to quote these to you every single week. We didn't even come up with super, uh, uh, like, perfectly worded, 
slogans to go with these. We've just kind of been calling them what they are. So the week one is, hey, we want to be family focused. And we talked about what that means in the context of our church here. And last week, Joe did a really good job talking about how we want to be a church that's known for being super friendly. The moment you walk in where when you show up, whatever is on your plate, whatever you left at home, whatever you left in the parking lot, you show up and you feel like family from the very first minute. And those are a big deal for us, right? And those are things where, believe it or not, you would think that things like that would be true about every business and every restaurant and every school and every church, but they're not true of every church, and that's why we're making them plain to you over the next few weeks that these are things that we want to be true about our church. And today's another one, and we believe, you think about passages like Leviticus, and you think about passages like John 3.16, when it comes to the Word of God, we, we believed it was important not only to solidify our emphasis on teaching Scripture and teaching truth, but also clarify how we teach it, how we value it, how we present it, how we emphasize it. And so today I want to address this, this particular DNA item, this particular Fieldstone personality item, um, and it's this, is that we want our teaching to be energetic and relevant, but not sacrificing the difficult truths. We want to find that balance of being energetic and relevant in the way that we present truth in this church but not in a way that sacrifices the truth that God gives us. So I want to hit both parts of that. I'm going to start with the energetic and relevant part first, and then, and especially, I want to hit on what I mean by truth um, and kind of talk about, you know, the difference between the difficult truths, the things that we should live and die for, and the things that we don't spend as much time on. And then, when it's all said and done, Brian and Miriam are going to lead us in a couple songs of worship, and we've got a, a couple individuals coming to be baptized this morning, which is really exciting. So... Let's talk about being energetic and relevant. Let's go back to the New Testament because we don't have to go much further than the book of Acts where the church started to see how the gospel was communicated, to see how truth was communicated in the early church. We can go to Acts chapter 2 with Peter. Okay, Basically, the second time the gospel was preached was when Peter preached his sermon in Acts chapter 2. The first time the gospel was preached was when the women discovered the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, and ran back and started telling people about it. So this is the second time the gospel was preached, and Peter presents the truth and the disciples with him with so much passion and so much energy that the people listening thought that they were drunk. They thought, man, these guys are so excited. These guys are so energetic. There is so much going on right now. These guys might have had a a few too many before they stepped out to start preaching. That's probably happened since then. It's never happened to me, by the way, Uh, not even close. And yet these guys were preaching with so much exuberance that people thought they might have been drunk. And so when Peter is laying out, not only is he excited, not only is there energy, but Peter starts with the Old Testament context. He starts talking them through and setting up the whole story of their people through Moses Father Abraham and all, the, all the, the tribes of Israel and talking them through the history and the prophets and ultimately showing them how their history led to Jesus. And it was the same with others as they were sharing the message throughout the book of Acts, sharing the message with crowds or religious leaders or even soldiers. They all had passion and energy and they all presented it in a way that those people could understand what they're talking about. We can go all the way to Acts chapter 17 where Paul is actually interacting with some Greek philosophers. And as a way of pointing them to Jesus, he quotes a couple secular philosophers, people that they knew, people that they had studied, and used their quotes 
to turn the tables on them and point them to the one true God. We can look at Jesus in the Gospels and the way that he taught. He was constantly referring to sheep and shepherds because he was talking to people who lived in the world of agriculture. He was constantly using seeds and harvest. He was constantly referencing landmarks and current events to talk about the things of God. And I think that whether it was Jesus or Peter or Paul or any of the disciples that we see sharing truth in the New Testament, I think they understood that the way you communicate impacts how a message is received. The way you communicate impacts how the message is received. Think about music, right? Uh, Some of the best songs at any point in time, if you were to listen to the radio, the most impacting songs, the most popular songs are songs where the lyrics match up with the tone and the energy of the music, right? There's a guy who's on the radio right now. Um, I always make fun of him, my family. It's a running joke in my family. The guy's name is Louis Capaldi, um, and he's got this song where I swear he is crying through the whole song. It's like, now the day bleeds into die for, and you're not here. Like, it's that way through the whole song. But guys, the lyrics are super sad, like someone hurt this dude bad. Somebody broke this guy's heart, and he sings like it the whole song. I swear he is weeping through the whole song, and he should, because the lyrics are that way, and so the music matches up with that, right? And, and you can think about movies that you've seen. Uh, go back to uh, 15 years ago with Ocean's Eleven, or one, a, a couple years ago, uh, A Star is Born. Great movies, popular movies, but these are movies that have literally been made three or four different time, times now. Those Oceans movies, you can go back to like the 30s and 40s, and there's an Oceans movie, and it's a great story, but you and I don't want to watch the one from the 30s. You and I don't want to watch the one from the 60s. I think maybe Dean Martin was in it or something. Nobody cares, right? So they made a new one with George Clooney and Brad Pitt, and we all thought it was awesome, and then they made a new one where the whole cast was women because they wanted to hit that demographic, and so they can tell the same story with the same plot line in a more relevant way, in a way that people will receive it and enjoy it. I remember um, uh, one of my first roles in ministry was a middle school pastor, and so in about 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, we were on a winter retreat, uh, and I was teaching our students, and uh, to kind of help get my point across, I don't even remember what the point was, but I referenced uh, O.J. Simpson, and I was like, you guys remember the white Bronco driving down the highway and the trial, and these like 12-year-old kids are looking at me like, Who's O.J. Simpson? I'm like, what do you mean who's O.J. Simpson? The white Bronco, right? Driving down the highway. Even now, some of you are looking at me like, who the heck is O.J. Simpson? But in that moment, I'm thinking, you guys, this is like the defining news story of my adolescence. You don't know who O.J. is? No, they weren't born when O.J. Simpson stuff was going on. Many of you were not born when O.J. Simpson was having his major trial. And I realized in that moment, oh my goodness, I'm like 25 and I'm too old for the stories that I'm telling these middle schoolers. I need to adjust. I need a new story, right? I need a new hook. And so I had to, and that's what happens with the things we're, we're doing. The language that you use, the references that you choose, the age level that you're speaking to, it all impacts the way the message is received. And so any message, any truth that's being communicated must be communicated in a way that's both understandable and convicting, and in a way that values the needs of the listener over the desires of the speaker. 
what tone is being used, what illustrations, what energy level, what word choices. And we, can, and we can even step outside the world of the Bible and church for a second. This is kind of a universal idea inside and outside of church settings. You talk about missionaries going to a new culture. Certainly, you're going to preach the gospel differently in South Africa than you would in South Florida, right? It has to be different. You can talk about politicians, like we're, gonna, we're into campaign season. It's a little bit goofy this year with the videos and the virtual stuff, but typically they're going to visit Michigan and they're going to have the same talking points, but then they're going to go to California and they're going to use the same talking points, but they're going to talk a little bit differently, right? In Michigan, they're going to talk about the out of doors and, and the woods and, and the farming community. And then when they're in Southern California, they're going to talk about the ocean and they're going to talk about the cities, right? It, and so it's very different. Same talking points, different way of presenting it. Some of you are teachers, right? And you've transitioned from a role of teaching elementary kids to middle school kids, maybe high school kids. And now you're transitioning from in-person teaching to virtual teaching. And it's the same things, it's the same ideas, it's the same stuff, but in a completely different way. It's the same goals, the same principles, the same truth, but with a different language, a different style, different examples, different clothing, and with an energy and a tone that matches the importance of the message. And so you think about being here around Fieldstone. If you've been around for any amount of time, you know we typically keep the sermons under 30 minutes, right? Joe breaks that rule more than I do, right? Joe gets a little long-winded. He takes that seminary education and starts preaching at us. But we try to keep it under 30 because we know that at about 2025, even you adults start toning us out. Right? And so we could preach for 45 minutes, but we'd know that you're only going to go home with half of it. So we try to keep it shorter. And, and Brian and Miriam like to incorporate new songs. Um, and, and when I'm up here, I try really hard not to reference 80s Stallone movies every single week. Right? We're coming up on hunting season, and I'm going to work really hard to not talk about deer every single week. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I fail. But I recognize not everybody knows who Sylvester Stallone is. Not everybody cares about hunting. And so we try to keep the message in a way that's going to be relevant to the people hearing more, more importantly than my desire to talk about hunting or talk about Rambo, right? However, big however, certainly energy, certainly relevance, certainly presenting the message in a way that the hearers can receive it and understand it. However, energy and relevance cannot be pursued in a way that devalues or dances around the actual truth we're trying to communicate. The pursuit of energy and excitement and fun, uh, silly videos we'll put up on the screen, or stories or illustrations, all that is important, but it cannot come in a way that, that hurts the truth that we're trying to communicate or waters it down in any way. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, kind of rolling into chapter 4, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is a challenge coming from Paul to his pupil Timothy. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Uh, it comes up again in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. Paul is talking about how we need to hear good, strong things taught and go a little bit deeper. And it says in verse 14, Then we'll no longer be infants. We won't be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. See, energy and relevance are, are certainly a way of effectively communicating truth, but it's not an effective way if it's watering down the truth. They, energy and relevance are a tool in the tool belt. They don't supersede the task itself. And so we have to recognize that ultimately, in the midst of any energy, in the midst of any relevance that we're pursuing, God does the work. His word does the work. And that's why some weeks throughout the year, we just go with the straight gospel, right? No silly stories, nothing super creative, just telling people exactly who Jesus is and what he did. And then we let the Holy Spirit do the work. And, and when it comes down to it, we can let the truth stand on its own. And I can give examples, I can give anecdotes for why it's important to have energy and why it's important to be relevant in the way that we teach. But I can give you these direct quote verses from scripture telling us that we're demanded that the truth be taught and protected in the way that we teach. So, what do we mean by truth when we say truth? Well, it, it can be a little silly because you can go to a church that would call themselves Bible-believing and they would see the Bible in a very different way than another Bible-believing church would. So I just, I want to break it down for you. And this is actually something that we do as part of our uh, Fieldstone 101 uh, Next Step class where people are investigating our church and want to know what we're all about. And what we do is we kind of break it down into three categories, right? Uh, and the first category is this. The first category are the essential beliefs. These are the things that we are rock solid on. And we say there are a handful of doctrines that we believe are so clear in Scripture, so core to what we believe, and so foundational to our faith that there can be no room to deviate from them as a church family. And an example I give of one of those beliefs is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. There can be no argument there. There can be no discussion. We believe that the Bible is so clear on that particular topic, and it is such a foundational truth when it comes to our faith that we cannot break away from that at all. And honestly, when it comes to this category of beliefs, if you're not on board with these few things, you're going to have a hard time feeling comfortable here because they are things that are taught regularly, taught directly, taught with strength, and we don't deviate from them. So those are the essential things. Second category would be things that we would call non-essential beliefs or, or uh, things that are distinctive of our church. Here's how we would describe those. These are doctrines that we believe are grounded in Scripture, and yet we recognize there are faithful Christ followers who hold a different view that is also based on an acceptable interpretation of the Bible. Our, our church's view of these distinctive beliefs will be the only interpretation that is taught at Fieldstone, but we hold them with an open hand knowing they are non-essentials. So an example I would give of this particular category would be baptism. We believe in believer's baptism, which means that baptism happens after an individual has put their faith in Christ and come to know him in a very personal way. We would say that that is a public profession 
of a personal decision that's already been made. Now, as a church, we would look at Scripture and find very strong support for that to the point where that's the only thing that we will teach at our church. However, we know that there are amazing people who love Jesus and study the Scriptures in, a, in an accurate way, in a good way, in churches that go a different direction when it comes to baptism. That's fine. We, we understand that there can be some discussion there, there can be some, uh, some wavering there, but it's a distinctive belief for us that that'll be a major part of our church, and baptism is one of them. There's a few others in that category. Third category uh, would kind of almost be a bit of a miscellaneous category where, we're, where there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion, a lot of charity given, uh, and we would say, typically, we're not going to spend as much time, if any, discussing some of these less meaningful issues especially non-essential or non-distinctive beliefs. I read that passage from Leviticus. As I said, I'm not going to camp on that section of Leviticus probably ever, right? Another example, I remember this from growing up in our church. I would hear uh, my dad and other people in the church having the discussion of who was the 12th apostle to replace Judas after he betrayed the Lord? Was it Matthias after they cast lots early in the book of Acts? Or was it the apostle Paul who came later and studied under Jesus and, and, and jumped into a huge role in ministry? And it's, it's a fun discussion. It's an interesting discussion. But honestly, who cares? It doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect you. It's a fun discussion. I'm not going to preach on it. Okay, we're not going to have a class on it. Um, it's part of the Word of God, which makes it important and interesting, but it's not an essential belief. It's not something that's distinctive of our church. It's kind of in the miscellaneous category. And then I guess it's not a category, but it's uh, another section, but there are beliefs that we would say are essential for salvation, things that we believe people need to believe in order to fully understand and fully give their heart and life over to Jesus Christ. It's that I know I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God because of that. I believe that Jesus is God, that he came as a man, as the son of God. And I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin and rose again to give me new life. And so we would, we would put those things in the category of, man, if you don't believe that, um, that's the basic truths of salvation. That's the gospel and so that's what you need to hold on to when it comes to uh, having a believing faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have these different categories, um, and it would take me all day long to go through every one of our different beliefs. Um, there's a good selection of them in our Fieldstone 101 booklets. Um, uh, it's a, there's a full outline of them in our bylaws. If you want either of those things, let me know. I'll get them to you. I know the bylaws in particular are great for those sleepless nights where you just can't get to sleep. Uh, bylaws, are just they'll just put you right out. But if you ever want to see any of those things, I'd be happy to put those things in your hands as well as kind of talk you through some of the different categories and where those things fit. But what we know about God's truth is a very important thing back here in Isaiah chapter 55. And this is what we rest in. It says in Isaiah 55, 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. God will use the truth that we speak. It touches hearts. And I can't tell you, it's amazing 
Um, there are occasional Sundays where, whether it's just a weird week um, or a, a state of mind I've gotten stuck in or something that's happened, um, there are Sundays when I get up here or get on the stage and just feel inadequate or insecure uh, or not happy with the energy that I was able to bring, not happy with the level of relevance that the Word may have been taught with that day. And I'm telling you, it's amazing how often those are the days when the emails come in or the comments come in of people saying, man, that was exactly what I needed to hear. That was exact, I invited my neighbor. That was exactly the message that, that they needed to hear. That was, that was great. And it's like, wait, what? I thought it was terrible, right? I, I didn't have any energy. Like, I didn't think that part A fit with part B or I said this and that shouldn't have been in there and the thing I needed to say wasn't in there. It just didn't work. And, but God used it because God takes his word and he promises that if we put it out there, He'll take some of our pathetic human efforts, our efforts to bring some energy, our, our efforts to speak with relevance and piece things together in a logical way. He's going to take those pathetic human efforts, and the Holy Spirit can do miraculous things with it, and that's what we rely on. And Brian and Merriman are going to come and lead us in a couple songs. I just want to close with a couple just practical challenges for you as an individual or for you as families when it comes to this value of, of teaching and communicating truth with relevance and energy, but not sacrificing the truth. And the first one is this. Don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. Don't get led astray. The, the things that really matter in Scripture, the things that we should live and die for, they are not subtle in the Bible. God makes them very clear who Jesus is, what he came to do, what, what is God for? What is God against? What does he ask of us? What brings him joy? What ticks him off? Those things are clear and direct, and they leave no room for debate in the Bible. They are statements that are made. And there's danger in not only undervaluing things that God is clear on, there's also danger in overvaluing things that God is not clear on. But either way, if we overvalue things that God is not clear on, or if we undervalue things that he is clear on, it can distract us and confuse us. It can lead us away from the gospel and how it's supposed to be lived out. So know your word. Be in scripture. Spend time in it. Get to know it. Watch videos that help you understand it. Read books that help you understand it. Get into small groups and conversations with people that help you understand it. Because it's easy to be fooled. It's easy to be led astray. Don't allow that to happen. Second thing is this. Take our goal of communicating truth with energy and relevance and adopt that strategy into your own life. I'm not saying you have to be super cool, right? We all can't grow a beard like Joe can. I know he shaved it off, but it was a sweet beard, right? We can't all be that cool next-gen pastor. But you also don't necessarily want to be the dude who's 50 years behind the rest of the world. And so when it comes to communicating truth and sharing the gospel or something from scripture, speak truth in a way that values them over you. Value their needs and their language and their generation over what you might be naturally comfortable with. Are you telling this story because they need to hear it or because it's a story you just like to tell? Are you talking to them like they're seven, even though they're 17? Do they need that rebuking tone or do they just need a little encouragement? Did you just talk nonstop for like 23 minutes? Or could you have dropped a three-minute truth bomb and let it sit for a bit? 
the truth is not about you. So when you are in conversations with people in your life, don't let them walk away with you being the only thing they remember about the interaction. Energy and relevance, but in the end, letting God's word speak for itself and do the work that only he can do. Let's pray, and then we'll worship together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We pray that both today and every week and any time that we as individuals are sharing, God, that you would take the truth that you've given us and impact lives the way you've impacted ours, change hearts the way that you've done for so many centuries before now. God, help us to hold to this. Help us to commit to reaching every generation, every type of person, and speak in a way that's going to reach different people from different backgrounds and different experiences. But God, in the end, help us to rely and trust in the fact that it's got to be your work, and we don't need to change the truth. We don't need to soften the truth. We need to present it and let you do your thing. God, be with us as we worship now. Inhabit the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.